It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 41 of Sports Day Plus. At 645, where are we at in society? I need to remind you people about some basic rules of New Orleans for the next time you visit the Big Easy. And a European priest is dealing with a horrific self-inflicted injury, thanks in part to a tick bite. At 6.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with comedian and actor Steve Ranazizi. Proud of his headlining shows at the Comedy Mothership this weekend. And a mere seconds, I take one more look back at Monday night's letdown for Longhorn Football. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. We are several days removed now from the Longhorns' disappointing outcome in New Orleans on Monday night. I was actually at the game, traveling back on Tuesday, which was an absolute beatdown. If you're ever driving to and from New Orleans for something like that, it is an absolute must that you leave by, oh, I don't know, 9 a.m. that next day, because otherwise you're going to get stuck in horrific traffic coming back to the state of Texas. And unfortunately, we left at 11.30, my group and I, and ended up having to spend an hour and a half on a highway in Baton Rouge, on I-10 through Baton Rouge, getting to the bridge that takes you over the Mississippi River where it crosses by Baton Rouge, it stunk. And what should have been a seven-hour drive ended up taking closer to nine and a half when it was all said and done. I tell you that as a sort of admission as to why I didn't have a show on Tuesday. Initially, that was the plan, but I thought I would get back in Austin in time to actually do the show, but that did not happen. I got back in Austin way too late on Tuesday. And so with the flow of the week, this is my first chance to give you my thoughts on the game without anybody else around. Although I do appreciate Justin Wells of Inside Texas sharing his opinion on things yesterday. It was obviously a disappointing game for the Longhorns. Somebody who was very high on this team. I thought this team had as good a chance to win a national championship amongst these last four teams as anyone. When it was all said and done, watching that game from the stands, there was something I noticed before the very first kickoff. And that was looking at the sidelines and seeing the Washington sideline looking loose, dancing around, looking like they were having fun, whereas the Texas sideline looked completely still. There were a couple of guys rocking back and forth, but everybody looked tight on the Texas sideline. And unfortunately, the first series for both the Texas offense and defense, I think proved my point. Texas offense, they get the ball first. What's the very first thing that happens for that Texas offense on first and 10? Snap infraction from Jake Majors. Steve Sarkeesian, as he's done all year long, is insisting on throwing a whole lot more than running the ball initially. I don't necessarily fault him for that, but it also didn't work. Texas punts pretty quickly. The Texas defense, what's the first thing that happens on Washington's very first snap? Offsides. Aaron Sorrell, amped up, ready to go. Played a decent game. One of the unsung heroes of this defense this year. But unfortunately, Baron Sorrell jumps off sides and that sets the tone for the rest of the night for this Longhorn defense in a sense. Now, it wasn't all penalties necessarily, although Texas 
was penalized at a pretty high clip for a college football playoff semifinal game, whereas Washington, which is one of the most penalized teams in the country throughout the season, didn't have a whole lot of that. It's a completely different conversation involving Big Ten refs in that game and whether that's something that should have been dealt with differently, but the officiating is far down the list of reasons as to why Washington beat Texas, 37-31. to The biggest reason is Michael Penix. That guy put on an absolute display at quarterback. His accuracy all over the field may be unparalleled in college football, not just this year, but in the past several years now. And it was mind-blowing to get to watch in person. I know that there were coverage busts. Terrence Brooks had an awful game. Ryan Walks got thrown on repeatedly. Heck, Jade Barron had a rough end of the season when you think back to him not being very good in that Oklahoma State game either. The Texas secondary was the weakness that we thought it was. And that Washington offense, they capitalized to the nth degree. Whereas on the offensive side of the ball for the Longhorns, the offensive line, which has been great at pass blocking all year long, protecting Quinn Ewers or Malik Murphy, whoever the quarterback is back there, they stunk in that regard and were actually a little bit better as run blockers. Therefore, you saw Steve Sarkeesian shift his game plan and start running the ball more, I want to say in the second quarter, and somehow Texas kept it close at halftime. Heck, it was tied at halftime, 21 apiece, in part because Texas received a very fortunate muffed punt from Washington that allowed them to flip the field at a time where it felt like Washington might really take control of that game. But Texas was playing catch-up all night long, unfortunately, and in the end, it was just a little bit too much. Despite that, despite Texas playing, I don't know, a C-plus game, C-minus game, I don't know what the exact grade is that you give them, they still had a chance to win at the end. And I think it speaks to the resilience of this football team all season long and why even though we as Longhorn fans are disappointed right now, we should be nothing but proud of what this group was able to accomplish this year. A conference title in their very last season in the Big 12 Conference and that very first appearance in the college football playoff a year before it expands to 12 teams. So even though it'll be cool to make the 12-team playoff, it means a little bit more making the four-team playoff because you are one of the four best teams in the country. So kudos to Steve Sarkeesian, his staff, the players, for all the work that they put in, not just over the last year, but over the last couple of years now, to build it up to this point and having people feeling optimistic about what the future holds. That's despite losing some key guys on both sides of the ball. That's the name of the game in college football. Georgia and Alabama, they lose important guys every year. Michigan loses big guys every year. Washington, it takes them a little bit longer to reload, I think because they're not working with quite as much in terms of that NIL cash. They lose out on big guys every year. You just have to be ready to reload. And with the transfer portal now what it is, I think that process of getting back to good to great is a little bit easier than it was even five years ago. And Steve Sarkeesian and his staff, with not only as well as they've recruited in the high school ranks, but what they're doing with the transfer portal right now has a lot of people, myself included, optimistic that this season was not a flash in the pan for Longhorn football. All right, need to hit a commercial break. Before I do so, wanted to let you know about a friend of mine. His name is Brian Hummel. His website, HummelRealtor.com. 
Are you searching for your dream home in Austin? Or maybe you're curious how much your home is worth? Look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your invaluable resource for buying, selling, and investing. As a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. When you choose Brian Hummel as your realtor, you're not just hiring a real estate expert, you are gaining a trusted partner committed to your success. It's been weird to be in Austin and Central Texas over the last year. The housing market actually cooled off for Central Texas, but guess what? All signs are pointing to things starting to heat up once again. Of course, the start of the year is the best time for people to put their house on the market. So whether you're a buyer or a seller, now is the time to act. To do so with Brian, contact him by phone, 512-619-1347. That's 619-1347. Or log on to HummelRealtor.com. That's H-U-M-M-E-L, Realtor.com. Brian Hummel with Realty One, the one you need. All right, coming up, it's a couple of segments with actor and comedian Steve Ranazizi ahead of his headlining shows at the Comedy Mothership this weekend and where are we at in society at 645. Need to give you people some rules for surviving New Orleans the next time you decide to take a trip there. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Steve Ranazizi is a longtime stand-up comedian and actor who will be bringing those stand-up talents to Austin this weekend, headlining the Comedy Mothership. Two shows Friday night, two shows Saturday, a show on Sunday. Only tickets that remain are for the late Friday and Sunday shows, and it's just the GA tickets of that. Go to ComedyMothership.com to snag those. Steve, thank you so much for the time. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing great. For people just listening on the radio show right now, they cannot see your background, but people watching the video can see that you have a really cool Mike Tyson's punch-out picture directly behind your head, and it is signed by Iron Mike himself. Kudos on what I think might be the coolest piece of paraphernalia that I've seen in somebody's Zoom background. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was awesome. I got that at a, a charity golf thing, and I, you know, you throw your name in a hat, and I won that, so I was like thrilled because... You know, Mike Tyson's punch out was one of my favorite games and one of my favorite boxers of all time. And, you know, obviously since then he's become like a cultural icon. So that's one for the, uh, yeah, that makes the wall. And there were layers of conquering Mike Tyson's punch out. Like obviously the ultimate is working your way all the way through, but you could also hack your way to to Iron Mike by doing the code. I don't recall what the code was, but uh, it was very, very well known by me and my brothers back in the eighties and nineties. Oh, really? I only remember the Contra code with the up, up, down, down, left, right. Left. I, that's like, that's all the way back to those are the days. I mean, I, there was, I'm sure if I got the game in front of me and I would, rem, I would be like Jason Bourne going back and be like, there it is. But yeah, that's the Contra one's the only one that stuck with me. So yeah. Yeah. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. BA select start. It gave you 30 lives yep. and you could usually beat the game on contract. Boom. That was it. Perfect. So simple back then. My kids, I've got a, nine and, I've got a nine and seven year old now. My kids play Fortnite and they've got all these skins and all these things that they're spending money on. I'm like, 
All you need is a couple of guns and a couple of bad guys at the ends of levels, and you can have as That's much That's what fun. I said. I go, where are the cheat codes? Like, why are we buying Peter Griffin skins? Why, 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 are, like, why can't you just hit a couple of buttons and then bingo, it pops up? Like, aren't we supposed to be more developed as far as hacking is concerned than we were back then? There's no way we could we hack Nintendo. We were not brilliant back then. You know, was, I don't know what happened. We, I think they put, like, the, the games are harder, I guess, now. Everything has gotten softer. The games have gotten harder, but everything else has gotten softer. We as a people have gotten softer. Even the controllers have gotten softer. You used to be able to spike those Nintendo controllers off the ground like Rob Gronkowski after he scored a touchdown. <laughs> now you drop a an Xbox controller, you're having to replace it three days later. Yeah, no, they're, uh, they're fickle pieces of machinery now. So, And I think it's just, you know, that... Everything is so advanced now that it's like once the technology breaks, well, then it's just useless. Just buy a new one. That's the way it's going to be. We're going to have a gigantic, gigantic mountain of uh, of controllers in the ocean someday. That's probably where they're all go. <laughs> That's right. The uh, floating garbage patch of video yeah. game controllers. So in preparing for this conversation, Steve, I uh, did what uh, I do for most of these conversations. And that's listen to podcasts that you've been on recently and also social media stalk you. And so I uh, rediscovered, I guess, that you are a big New York Giants football fan. I was high on the Giants headed into this season. Obviously, Dan- Daniel yeah. Jones' injury was a big deal. But how did things go so sideways for the Giants like they did? I thought this was going to be a huge year for Saquon. He's been all right this year. But the rest of the team has not followed suit, especially after the optimism that everybody felt following 2022. I mean, I went to opening day against the Cowboys and our first drive, we were marching down the field. And I I remember the feeling of saying to myself, this is it. Like we are, we've taken a step forward and we're, we're marching down the field opening day against our division rivals. Nothing could have stopped us. And literally from that moment, I remember it when they, they, they threw the pick and the other and, and the Cowboys came from that moment on, it's been a disaster. Now there've been moments of like, wow, okay. Tommy DeVito and the whole thing, which is a bright spot for the season. But for the most part, you know, Daniel Jones getting hurt inconsistency in quarterback probably doesn't help at all, but the offensive line is just, it's been, it's been terrible. It's, it's not a well-coached unit. They don't get, they don't seem to get much better from week to week. They never put weeks together in a row. So uh, I think that's a, it's been a, a problem for a long time. It continues to be a problem. Um, I, you know, other than that, bad luck, a harder schedule. Um, and so, yeah, that's what it comes down to. Injuries are tough. I think all the top quarterbacks that make the most money, I think out of the top five or six, only two of them, or maybe one of them is playing right now. So, you know, it's not just a problem that was ours. It was the Vikings. It was everybody else who's got their starting quarterback that got hurt. But when you are not a great team, then when you lose a good player, then it, it you know, it shows up big time. So, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not down on the team. I, I'm not like we're back to square one, but I'm not thrilled, obviously, with what what has happened. I, and I, I truly, I mean, I, it sucks to say, but I don't want them to win this weekend. Yeah. I don't want them to get blown out. Like last weekend was the perfect scenario. Put it, make a competitive team, a competitive game, and we lose it. I want a top five pick, and um, you know what what they decide to do with that pick. That you know that'll be left for discussion. But I don't want to move, move any further away from the number one pick. You're taking one of those quarterbacks if you get a top five pick, right? I know that last year everybody was high on Daniel Jones, but you got to roll the dice with somebody else at this point, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think so. I, I think if you're gonna 
if you're going to trust in Joe Shane, he didn't, you know, they, they, these, this new administration, Shane and Dable, didn't pick Daniel Jones. Uh, I think they they realized they could probably make something out of him. They did last year. I, I don't blame Daniel Jones. I really don't. You know, no. the guys had bad luck. The one year he had with a great new coordinator and, uh, and um, you know, general manager, he had a great season last year. This year, the injury bug got, you know, bit him. He's been pretty healthy up until this point, but just had terrible coaching and, and uh, coordinator. So I don't blame him. But if they wanted to, if you wanted to give them the keys to drafting another quarterback and, and starting from scratch on a rookie contract, you know, you, you really only owe one. You, know, you could have Daniel Jones start and have the other guy back up or, you know, reverse it if it's going well enough. You only have to pay Daniel Jones for one more year. So uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but... Again, I've been I've been on this like soapbox. I understand that you have to draft for what you need, but like I want to draft the Giants' offensive. I want us to draft our offensive lineman that is like our Joe Thomas, our guy that's going to put a, a a gold jacket on in in twelve years from now. That is just synonymous with New York, like the guy that's going to make sure our Quentin Nelson, who we could have had, you know, our guy that's going to go. The offensive line, other players may come and go, but I am going to be the, you know, it's not Andrew Thomas, as good as he's played. It's not Evan Neal to this point. They keep trying with these top, but like, I I just get that right. Let's get that right. Now, obviously the Penn State guy might not be there, the, the offensive line, but like, if it's going to be something like that, I wouldn't mind a big splash like that. I wouldn't mind doing something like that because even if you get this young kid in, you got to protect him especially in the beginning. Look at the difference between Houston and Carolina. You know, Bryce Young's running for his life most of the time, and C.J. Stroud has a big, decent command of the of the offense because they protect for him, you know. So it's – I think you can't get there unless you have the right sort of, you know, protection. And that's what I'm a firm believe. But, if, look, take a quarterback. I wouldn't blame him. Yeah, so I'm an NFL bastard at this point. I was an Oilers fan back in the day, and it was an adult when the Oilers got ripped out of Houston. Tried to root for the Titans. That was didn't work. Like They fell a half yard short of a Super Bowl title, and it didn't affect me at all. And the Texans, you know, they're cute, but I'm, I was also an adult when the Texans came to be, and you got to be a kid to really form those hardcore allegiances, right? So I'm more of a Texas Longhorns fan than anything else. I've watched that program toil and near obscurity for the last 10 plus years now because their lines of scrimmage were so bad they finally have started gotten that, getting that right in the last couple of years and look what happens they make it all the way to the college football playoff went went to the game in new orleans on monday it's why my voice sounds like this right now i apologize and even though they fell a little bit short you feel great about the direction that they're headed because they finally gotten the line of scrimmage is good and so everything else becomes so much easier when that happens you can make a mediocre team look really good with a good line of scrimmage. If your best unit is your offensive line, you're going to have a re- pretty good football team. Okay? You may give up 40 points on the back end, but if you can block for your quarterback, regardless of who they are, you give an NFL, a professional athlete who gets to the point where he's gonna, he's considered quarterback in the NFL enough time to throw the ball, most of them will get the job done. The good ones will, get, will, be, will look great, and the great ones will be unstoppable. So... Uh, it, to me, it's the most important, it's the most important, uh, unit in the entire football team. You can get, you know, look at the Broncos in the, in the nineties, you get those guys where insert running back here, but we have the offensive line and the offensive scheme to run the ball and make everyone look good. It works. Steve Scar, Scar, Steve 
Gar, how do you say his last name? Sarkeesian. Yeah. I mean, he's emphasized that a couple of years, he's turned the team into, you know, obviously, uh, 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 you know, they were in playoff contention to win this year. And you build an offensive line, you protect your quarterback, you can run the ball. You can bring you and you will and you will attract other top quarterbacks when you know, hey, we're going to put you behind a bunch of dudes that are going to take care of you. It yeah. they, it helps. Yeah, Sam Tripoli is going to be upset with you for not being able to pronounce his fellow Armo's last name I correctly. Know. Sarkeesian. And it should be <laughs> Steve Star Steve Sarkeesian. There we well, go. Well, we one thing that they're doing also on top of getting the line of scrimmages right, like the level of roster management that's required at the college level right now is yeah. second to none, including the NFL level, because you're not only having to placate to these high school kids to get them to commit and then eventually sign with you, you're having to stay on top of them throughout the entirety of their time at within your athletics program, or within your football program. And he's doing a good job of that, keeping the guys that he wants to, letting the guys that he doesn't want go, while also just nailing it in the transfer portal too, just going after the best guys at the big, biggest positions of need for the following year. So I think if there's uh, any secondary reason beyond the lines of scrimmage why you feel good about Texas heading to the SEC next year is because he seems to have this roster primed to compete year in and year out. All right, we are up on a commercial break and done with the football conversation. Stay tuned because coming up on the other side, I am going to talk more stand-up with stand-up comedian and actor Steve Ranazizi. You know him as Kevin from the TV show The League. He's actually headlining at the Comedy Mothership this weekend. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, a show on Sunday. The only tickets that remain are for the late Friday and Sunday shows. Go to ComedyMothership.com to grab those because they will sell out. Coming up, one more segment with Steve on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. All right, one more segment with stand-up comedian and actor Steve Ranazizi headlining at the Comedy Mothership this weekend. ComedyMothership.com for the few tickets that remain for the late Friday and Sunday shows. So it was exciting to learn, I think it was early December, that you were going to be headlining the Comedy Mothership the first weekend here in January. It's just in a couple of days now. Uh, obviously, your buddy Ari is uh, headlined there, and uh, I see uh, through, again, social media stalking you on Instagram that you, Ari, Ryan O'Neal, former friend of the show Jason Tebow, back when he was doing the uh, NFL Red Zone thing on Sundays, you guys have been uh, touring uh, over the last several months and years, so uh, how excited are you to, uh, to get to check out the Comedy Mothership this weekend? I'm thrilled because I've only heard great things. I follow them on social media, obviously. And, you know, you get the pictures every night of what's going on and the people they have there. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, Willy Wonka has built a chocolate factory and it's <laughs> really wonderful. And I can't wait to go try it out. I've heard the crowds are great. Um, the shows are selling unbelievable. I think two or three of them already sold out. So if you're looking for tickets, get them now. I'm bringing Ryan O'Neill to work with me. So he's oh, going to nice. come down and open for me this weekend. So he'll be here. The uh, the Indiana uh, ass kicker. So he'll be in town. And um, yeah, so we're going to have a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, O'Neal is, uh, he may not be as well known as uh, the likes of Steve Ranazizi. He is hilarious, though. Make sure to check hilarious. him out. You're, you're right. There aren't a, a ton of tickets remaining. People need to go to comedymothership.com. They will be sold out by Friday night, certainly by Saturday night as well. And uh, it's been interesting to be a fan of stand up comedy for a long time because I feel like in the last couple of years, 
we've seen a shift where stand-up comedy has gotten more popular than ever. But with that comes a lot of new people to the art form on the audience side of things. And a lot of those new people are coming in based on crowd work clips that they're seeing on Instagram, TikTok, and things like that. And I think that's led to more people feeling like they need to be a part of the show versus understanding the uh, that this is a performance art that you're watching, that this is something that's been rehearsed, it's been written down, it's been memorized in a lot of ways, and you're not part of the show unless the comedian wants to make you a part of the show. Have you seen an uptick in people just trying to yell stuff out at you as you've been doing stand-up over the last year or two? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I would say a, a slight uptick, especially in spots where like I got a, a, a lady in Philly that went a little nuts on some jokes and stuff and caused a scene, which you're like, Philly, come on, Philly, you guys are tougher than that. And then I was literally just in Alaska this past weekend for uh, New Year's. And, you know, th- obviously they don't get a ton of sunlight comedy and stuff up there. Yeah. Well, sunlight as well. Uh, warmth as well. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, <laughs> I had a couple great shows and a couple shows where people just were like, oh, we'll just yell out whatever. Or like if they thought like whatever I said, they had a tag or they want to yell something like free for all. So I explained you have to kind of some of the it's not their fault necessarily. You just an audience needs to be trained a little bit. Yeah. An audience has to, especially in cities where there's comedy, new comedy clubs popping up. Some of these cities and it's not like you got to be trained. We're going to teach you what's funny. You can figure out what's funny on your own, but you got to do it by the rules that we're going to like, you know, obviously no heckling, no make wait for your turn. If if they want you to be a part of the show, they'll pull you in when it's time to be quiet, be quiet. You know, like all the different things that make great comedy clubs. Great. They take time. Now, mothership, obviously, you've got to grade that on a curve. You're coming to a great city, a great comedy city previous to Joe going there with his club. Yeah. And on top of that, you have a comedian, a great, a great comedian building a place that he wants other great comedians to want to perform at. So those audiences are, I'm sure are going to be immediately amazing because it takes, you know, when you have that kind of person in, in charge who wants to build that kind of place, it, it makes it better. It, ma- it makes comedians want to come there. And so it's important. Yeah, and Joe has borrowed from the idea that the Comedy Store has done so well out in L.A. for the longest time where pretty much everybody working in that club is a comedian and they do a good job of communicating to the people that they are taking to their seats what the rules are and making sure that everybody understands that. You will still get the occasional Yahoo, though. Like I saw somebody start to try and go after Tony Hinchcliffe, which is a terrible person to try and go after. Uh, one of the first months that the that the mothership was open, and they just got tossed straight out of there. She was she didn't like something that he had said, and her boyfriend was like giving her the side eye, and, and he stayed in a seat. Like she got thrown out. He's like, "Sorry, I want to see this show. This is a Rogan and Friends show, so I'm not going anywhere." So she got embarrassed like that. But the the last time I saw something happen at the mothership, it was somebody who had just either done too much of something. I don't know if it was alcohol. It probably wasn't weed, yeah. but there was something else going on to where they. They literally had to receive assistance just to get out of the club because there was a potential medical episode there. Yeah, well, people, you know, edibles now, people hit the gas. And you don't know, you know, you don't know. It's not like you watch them drink 10 drinks or they have five empty glasses in front of them or, you know, there's, you know, paraphernalia around them. You eat an edible before you come in. And next thing you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, I'm, I'm a huge pot advocate. I, I love pot, but it's like sometimes people need to know they get they hit the gas too hard. It's it's you know it is a thing where you can 
go crazy on it. So, you know, people get a little bit nuts, especially in comedy clubs where they feel that relaxed. And yeah, once in a while you'll run across that. But for the most part, it's just, yeah, you it's individuals who don't really know what how this art form works and what to do and what not to do and how to handle themselves. So it takes a little bit of managing, little, you know, a little bit of sometimes security. But for the most part, I would say it's less than 1% of the time that you run into something like that. What was the subject that triggered the woman in Philly? Oh, uh, I had done a joke about meeting my wife. Because uh, um, I would ask people that this couple told me they met on Tinder. And I said, that's not bad because I met my wife because I dry humped her from behind with no consent to R. Kelly's bump and grind in 1997. So I don't know what's worse, right? <laughs> so this lady was like, the, you know, she was basically like consent and rape jokes are not funny. Under any, under any, you know, so you get that and you're like, okay, well, I understand your point. That joke wasn't for you. You didn't like it. Let's move on. Like, let's be adults. Even if you didn't like it so much, you want to leave, then just get up and leave. But you don't have to make a thing out of it. Nobody can, you're not going to start a thing in a comedy club where everybody gets on your side. Unless the comedian has gone off the, you know, we've had a couple instances of people losing their mind comedians on stage you know i don't want to name who but you know we all know who the, the classic ones are Cosmo so Kramer. it has happened yeah but you know for the most part everybody just wants to watch the guy or the person the comedian work and therefore you're not going to get everybody on your you're not going to the lady in philly was not going to get it you know what the the, the 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 union worker in the front row who spent all his money on the tickets and got a babysitter stuff, he's not going to go you know what this lady's right this lady's right. Jokes are not funny, even if they're not for me. You know, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely it's it's I mean, it's mental in my mind to think as someone who's been in it, who's been made fun of, who's had stupid things happen to them and horrible, you know, like horrible things said about them. If you can't take it, you you just that's it's a joke. You got to move on. It's it, no one is going to get hurt here. That's the one of the reasons why stand-up comedy is so important right now with the seriousest things got in the COVID era with not just the pandemic, but all the stuff that happened during that time as well. It's like that the, the response to that by society was embracing stand-up comedy. And there, the, there is certainly yeah. a place to uh, to stand up and object to something being said that's uh, that's offensive or mildly offensive. What you said, by the way, wasn't even that offensive. My goodness. Please. Uh, but uh, the comedy club is not that place. That, if anything, is kind of the last bastion where you can get away with saying things that are messed up pretty much anywhere else, but you're saying it on a stage to people who have paid to laugh. And that's the other thing people need to think about also, whether they're trying to object to the comedian or just throw something out because they want to be a part of that next Instagram clip. Keep in mind that you're not just ruining the show for the comedian. You're ruining the show for every person who paid 30 to 40 to 50 bucks who is sitting around you as well, because you have just interrupted the flow of what that person is trying to do on stage. Exactly. Imagine a maniac went to a movie, right? And in the middle of the movie, there was a line said, and they just started getting up and being like, this isn't funny or that's not right. Can you guys believe it's like everybody would tell that person to shut, shut up. Yeah. You know, and that's typically what happens in the, but it's like the fact no one would do that. People don't do that because it's a movie. And be, I guess because we're a real person, you think you're going to get some sort of, you know, effect or you're going to get the, you know, the, 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 
the resolve that you want, but it's it's in the grand scheme of things, all you're doing is ruining everybody else's experience, and and you're not adding to anything, and all and and the, and you're making yourself probably more miserable. You know, I'm not saying you gotta yeah. find everything funny, but if you don't, if you're gonna hold on and have that much resentment towards a a, a, a joke that probably was definitely not written about you in particular, then you how 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 tight are you going to be wound for the rest of your life? So it's, it's yes, you do run into those people very, very few and far between. But for the most part, people that spend that money and they come out and, and you know, these nights are expensive sometimes and they don't want, they just want to go and have fun and laugh. And if they don't find a particular joke or a subject funny, then either you wait to the next thing or you get up and you leave, and maybe the next day you 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 know you talk to you. Hey, that guy wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. This person wasn't for me. That's it. No need to do a whole thing. So that's that's how I feel. That's how what I've encountered, and that's how I go about it. I think that's very well said. Now, do you still live in Southern California? You still live in LA? No, I'm in New York now. What spurred the move? Uh, right after the pandemic and everything, it's just uh, you know, my family was all situated here and we've been going back and forth for a long time. And I think my kids wanted to be with their cousins and stuff. So for us, it was a great uh, time. Everybody was sort of picking up and moving to where they wanted to go. And we've been in LA for 20 years. So it's nice to be, I grew up here. My wife grew up here. So it's nice to be back here and doing, you know, stand up and also being around family. He is Steve Ranaziz. He's going to be at the Comedy Mothership this weekend. Not a ton of tickets left. Go to ComedyMothership.com to snag those that remain. Steve, always a pleasure catching up with you, man. Glad to hear things are going so well. Safe travels to and from Austin this weekend. Thank you. Great catching up with you as well. Be well. Coming up and where are we at in society? I have some rules for how you survive the Big Easy for those of you planning on going to New Orleans at any point in the future. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. All right, before we get to the final segment of today's show, needed to let you know about another friend of mine. That would be my guy, Ike. With Domino's. That's right. Ike owns four different Domino's locations, but he wanted me to spread the word about Domino's in general. This is not just a Domino's in Lago Vista, Burnett, Treviso, or Lampasas locations. Ike owns all of those. This has to do with every Domino's here in the Central Texas area. Did you know that ordering Domino's is now easier than ever, and you can order virtually from anywhere? Online at dominoes.com, Domino's mobile apps for iPhones, Android, and Windows phones, Domino's voice ordering feature on the Domino's mobile app, Twitter, text messaging, Samsung, Smart TV, Ford Sync, smartwatches, Facebook Messenger, and even on Google Home. Also use the convenient pizza tracker to track when your pizza will be ready or arrive at your door. And while you're at it, you may want to try that new pepperoni stuffed cheesy bread. It's now on the menu at all Domino's locations. It is the perfect mouth-watering side for movie nights, sports nights, or when you're just craving melty cheese and pepperoni. Who's not craving that at all times? I know I am. So try Domino's new pepperoni stuffed cheesy bread. The next time you place an order, your taste buds will thank you, and thank you so much to my friend Ike, for supporting my broadcasting endeavors. 
And it is now time for the final segment of the show, which means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right, it is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism as it's all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day. And I need to start today's Where Are We At with a general reminder for those of you who plan on taking a trip to New Orleans anytime in the future. There are certain rules that you need to abide by with the city of New Orleans and ensuring that you have a fun and relatively safe time. I say relatively safe because New Orleans inherently is not that safe. It is a place, as an Uber driver put it, Over the few days that I was in the Big Easy last weekend in preparation for that Texas-Washington matchup in the Superdome, it is a place that is illogical but magical. New Orleans doesn't make sense. It is very random. But if you choose to go with the punches and not get too upset because whatever plans you had did not follow through like you had hoped, then you should have yourself a pretty good time. The first rule of New Orleans, everybody is drunk. Everybody does not just include you. Everybody includes that server who's helping with your food, that bartender who's helping you with your drink. Your Uber driver or cab driver are all probably drunk. You need to act as if everybody in that town is drunk because most of them are. The police officers on horses on Bourbon Street, they are probably drunk. So just keep that in mind. Certainly any other tourist or visitor that you see walking around, you know to assume that they're drunk, but people don't realize that everybody else in that city is. It's just the name of the game in New Orleans. You drink what you can and you hustle to make money when you have to. Second rule of New Orleans. Everybody is drunk. Which leads me to my third rule of New Orleans. Because everybody is drunk, you need to treat your time in New Orleans like you're on island time. You know, when you're at an island or a beach destination, things are going to move a little bit slower. Just take a breath and be patient. It'll eventually happen, and if it doesn't, oh well, the person who was helping you was probably drunk. I saw way too many examples of people who were just impatient walking around the Big Easy and crowded bars and restaurants too, by the way. It's like, can you not see this? these three bartenders are trying to help a hundred different people right now? And oh, by the way, they're also probably drunk at the same time. Just take a breath. If you need to buy a six pack at the local grocery store, guess what? You can crack one as you walk out of your Airbnb or your hotel and have that with you or have a couple in your pocket as well. You're not going to get in trouble for that. If anything, it's going to provide a short sort of insurance policy for the time it takes your drunk bartender to even take your order, much less fulfill your order, and then close out your tab. Fourth rule of New Orleans. I mentioned it already, and it's one that I didn't have in the hopper until talking to that Uber driver. Uber is illogical, but magical. That place makes no sense. But it is also magical. If you're patient, you sit back in a sense. I mean, go do stuff. 
Send back, in a sense, and let the magic happen. You will likely have a good time. Even if you go there for a football game that doesn't turn out like you had hoped. I wish Texas had won that game. It would have made it for a great weekend. Instead, it was just a really good weekend. Because New Orleans is a cool place. A cool place, by the way, that I would never want to live in. There is a 0% chance I would be even remotely healthy if I lived in New Orleans for, I don't know, six months? Like, I gained 10 pounds in the three days that I was there, and I didn't, by the way. I was eating one meal a day. It was just a uh, very calorie-rich meal, let's call it. Carb-rich meal, too, since everything there is deep-fried. Their gumbo, which seems like it could be healthy. Do Do you know what roux is? You know how they make roux? That's not healthy either. So there are your rules to surviving and enjoying New Orleans. We move on now. Story number two for where are we at in society. We go to the Czech Republic for this next one. And I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. If there are kids in the car, well, you may want to reconsider that one. (sighs) Headline. Priest cuts off his own nether regions during crazed mental break following tick bite. A priest in the Czech Republic sliced off his own, let's call it aardvark, cuts off his own aardvark with a knife after he was allegedly driven psychotic by a tick bite. From the mayor of this town in the Czech Republic where it occurred, quote, we don't know exactly what happened. It was probably a health problem. Yeah, thanks, mayor. Good guess on the health problem part. Mental health issue, perhaps? According to Czech outlets, locals first realized something was wrong after the unnamed clergyman failed to show up for a prearranged meeting. Paramedics knocked and eventually had to bust down his door, after which they found the priest lying unconscious in a pool of blood with his bacon bazooka in his hand. The imperiled man of God was subsequently rushed to the local emergency room where medics discovered that he had also suffered injuries to the other part down there, the beans part of the Franks and beans equation, I guess. Due to his deteriorating condition, doctors put the man into an induced coma and placed him on a ventilator, which he remained on for 10 days. So thankfully, this guy is actually off the ventilator now. Very thankful about that one. Because he was unconscious for 10 days, people weren't totally sure what had happened until doctors discovered there was central damage to his nervous system, which appeared to be viral in origin, per the religious leader's testimony, whenever he was finally conscious again. The priest suffered from... Tick-borne encephalitis, also known as TBE, which is swelling of the brain caused by a tick-transmitted disease. In its advanced stages, the condition can induce personality changes and even psychosis, which was believed to be the case with this priest. Clergyman was also said to be experiencing health problems the day before the incident. Foul play has been completely ruled out. 
And oh my goodness, I cannot think of many worse ways for you to injure yourself. I guess this wasn't so accidental. But I can't think of many ways to injure yourself worse than to sever your own middle wicket. But the brain swelling thing, that that should not be taken lightly. Remember the Charles Whitman story, the UT Tower shooter from many decades ago? After he was shot and killed and they did the autopsy, they saw that he was dealing with a brain tumor and it had caused a serious personality change and a horrific lack of judgment. That led to one of the worst tragedies in this city's history, even all these years later. And so this priest also had something similar happen where I guess thankfully he didn't hurt anybody else, but my goodness, he hurt himself in a pretty awful way. I know the priest is unnamed, so we're probably never going to get that interview, but I, I would wonder if he could even come close to explaining what was going through his head as he was making that decision. That decision to sever his own Mandingo. To cut off his own gummy worm. To deal with his one-out try... Okay, I'll stop. That is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned tomorrow... My guy Sam Paniatovich, a.k.a. Sammy P, is going to get you DGENs ready for Week 18 of the NFL season as well as handicapping the national championship game between Michigan and Washington on Monday night. You'll have a great rest of the night. Talk to you tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, welcome. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.